Hey guys, it's RJ and Angie, and this is the Rich by Intention podcast. Today we have Delian, the money coach on the show. She is a money expert and a former employment attorney. Delian shows investors that you don't need to become debt free or earn six figures in order to achieve financial freedom. She's the creative Slay the Stock Market course and has been featured on CNN, Time, Business Insider, and Yahoo Finance. She has an amazing story and you're going to get a lot out of this episode. Yeah, no, this this is such a great episode, guys, just digging into her story. So we hope you enjoy it. Thank you for tuning into this episode. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Be sure you're following us on Instagram at Rich by Intention for money tips and inspiration. Okay, so Delianne, we are so excited to have you on our podcast. You know, you are doing awesome things, just inspiring people to really get control of their finances and start building real wealth for themselves. So it really is a pleasure to have you on the Rich by Intention podcast today. Yes, I love it. I love how like this friendship has evolved from FinCon to here and I'm all about it. Of course. So for those who may not know you, can you just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So um, my name is Delian Barrows, also known as Delian the Money Coach. So I started my journey, like a lot of people, just wanting to pay off all of my debt. (laughs) And I found a debt-free community, fell down that rabbit hole, found, you know, the financial independence community and decided that there's just isn't that many voices in the space, especially women and women of color talking about this stuff. And I was like, yeah, I want to be one of those voices. I, you know, I was somebody who felt marginalized and ignored in this area and I didn't want other people to feel that way. So I decided to do something about it. I created Delhi and the Money Coach. In September 2020, I launched Slay the Stock Market, which is my signature investing course. And we just hit a million dollars in revenue about a month ago with the course, which is incredible. We have over 3,200 students enrolled. And this is just the beginning. You know, I mean, it's like funny to even hear me say it because I had to convince myself that this is, was real. But now I see what a huge impact this is going to have. And for me, it's like the sky's the limit now. Oh, wow. Like you truly are making an impact. And it's amazing, right? Like you said, you started this last year. So just to see the way that you were able to grow your brand and your business so quickly, but ultimately the impact that you've been able to make on people's lives and the lives that you're changing through the Slay the Stock Market course. And so, you know, just thinking about that, you said something pretty interesting. You said you couldn't believe that you're here, right? So I kind of want to dig into that a little bit and just hear more about where you came from. You know, you have a very unique and interesting story. So can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about your childhood, your upbringing, and then we'll go from there? Yeah. And I think it's funny because a lot of people will be like, yeah, you have a unique story, but I actually think my story is more common. It's just not you know, people don't talk about it either because they're embarrassed because there's still a lot of stigma around it, or there just aren't that many people like me with this kind of platform. So I was born in Brazil. I moved to the States when I was eight years old, obviously not by myself with a little suitcase. My parents brought me, but I um, grew up in, in America, but I was undocumented for almost 15 years, which is something that you know, I just recently started processing and I'm like, it was a very traumatic experience in my life because you're basically living in fear like every single day. Um, so you already have, you know, the, the familial stress of 
we just don't have enough. You know, whenever I would ask for anything, my parents were like, we don't have it. You know, we're here, we're here. We're trying to like keep you guys clothed, fed, safe, clean. That's our job. And so we don't have, it was a common theme in my home. Also on top of that is be careful, right? Like don't get into trouble. Like don't rock the boat. Um, that kind of mentality of like, be small, like don't be so visible because we don't want to bring attention to ourselves is something that I'm now realizing I carried with me into the workplace, into different opportunities that came into my life. Um, when I did encounter something that I thought was problematic, I didn't want to rock the boat. Right. I was like, how can I navigate my way around this problematic person at work? Or how can I find a way to work with somebody else or get off this team so that, you know, I can keep my livelihood? And so it's something that has impacted me throughout. I was never a negotiator when it came to my finances, I didn't negotiate my salaries. I just, was so happy to be offered a job that I was like, yes, please. Thank you. You know? And they're like, okay, well, do you have anything else to, you know, ask or anything? And I'm like, nope, no questions, you know, very plain, very, very small. And so when I say like, wow, I can't believe I'm in this position that I am today where I negotiate with massive brands. I push back on my numbers. I'm managing this level of, of wealth in my life right now. I don't budge on my principles on Instagram. I post things that are controversial because that's what I believe in. It's a it's a completely different way than I have um, acted in the legal world and in the corporate world. So this business is so much more than yes, have I built wealth with it? Absolutely, but it's given me the freedom to free like really be myself for the first time in like my life, which um, honestly has been the most transformative thing for me. Wow. So I had a quick question. So you talked about the empowerment that you have now. When did that transition start from you playing small to playing mm -hmm. big? What was like the catalyst for you? Um, when I started my business and I started, you know, my sister is also a powerhouse. She's a six figure business owner in her own right. She's a business coach. And she, um, and you know, they say you're like the accumulation of the five people that you hang out with. Right. And I've always hung out with like other lawyers. So I played to their mindset. Right. And that was like the mindset that I had. I was like, oh, I'm not gonna, why would I ever leave the legal field? This is just what you do. You retire at 60. And like, I was being influenced by the people around me, but I didn't realize that there was this other person in my life who was breaking the rules, doing things differently, um, setting her own path. And that was my little sister, right? Who has always been very entrepreneurial in spirit. And, but I always thought like, that's not for me. For some reason, I just thought she can do it, but I can't. And that's my sister, right? So when finally I came up with the idea of, I want to be a coach and I want to help people, she immediately was like, let's go. She had been like ready for this moment, right? So she immediately started coaching me and taking me by the hand. And my sister's a very empowering person and she has coached multimillionaires. So she knows what's possible, right? For her, me becoming a millionaire was inevitable. She's like, it is inevitable that you, this will happen. And she had such a strong belief in me that I started believing it too, right? And then you start seeing the numbers and you're like, oh my God, this is really happening. But having somebody there who has taken other people down this path and it's somebody that you trust and they're cheerleading you on, I found that to be like the most helpful. Otherwise you're like, you know, as most entrepreneurs, we're launching these things in a silo, we're all on our own. We're not talking to other people. And 
you know, if you do make money, you feel like you stumbled on it. It was never like a planned intentional thing. For me, my sister is like super responsible. And Natalia, calling you out. Um, Shout out to my sister. Amazing. And yeah, she like was a huge transformative force in my life for sure. I love that because sometimes again, like we're not, we don't always see our own greatness and it takes that other person bringing it out in us. And I love that your little sister was the person to really bring out your, your full potential, your, your true greatness. And just for our listeners, you know, like just surrounding yourself with the right people is so important. You know, like we all are self-critical. We all have these self-esteem issues and doubts about our abilities. But I think like what you said, Delian, just getting yourself around the right people, people who are doing the things that you want to do um, mm-hmm. is important and can help push you towards your goal. So I want to talk a little bit more about your journey as an attorney. You know, you mentioned that you were undocumented in this country. You know, mm-hmm. how did you transition from, you know, being a child who was undocumented to being a lawyer at a top law firm? Yeah. Um, for me, um, education was always going to be the, the answer for me, you know, and that is something that my parents instilled in us. They're, they only gave me two pieces of advice. Make sure you have good credit and get an education. And you know what? I did those two things. So imagine what I would have done if I had a little bit more, just one more nugget, right? Um, so that's how I know education, especially very early in life is so powerful because literally those were the two things they told me. And I just... I've always had perfect credit. I have like a credit score of almost 850. And, um, you know, my education is stellar. So I knew that education was going to be the thing that was going to lift me out of poverty. You know, before law school, I was making $28,000 a year before taxes. And I was working for a multimillionaire broker. Um, And so being exploited and didn't even know it. And after law school, my first job out of law school was $85,000 before taxes, which, you know, in New York City doesn't go very far, but far enough. That was the most amount of money I had ever seen in my life. So I thought I made it big at that point. But yeah, for me, it's like law school was going to be that out that path. But at the same time, I wanted to also choose something that where I could help people. I'm like, I want to help people. So I chose plaintiff side employment, you know, law, plaintiff side, meaning that I represented employees, right? So if you have a discrimination case, a wage and hour case, something like that, those are the type of cases that I worked on. But the most heartbreaking thing is I worked so hard to do this, to lift myself out of poverty, put myself through school, accumulated obviously a ton of student loan debt. And then six months into my legal career, I came to this realization that I absolutely hated being an attorney. And it was the most heartbreaking moment, right? Because you work so hard, you're so proud of it. It's been like your whole identity for years. And all of a sudden you're like, um, I really hate this job. <laughs> and then you're stuck because you have all this debt you've got the golden handcuffs you're like locked in. And, um, I proceeded to be an attorney for the next 14 years. <laughs> right. And again, it's that, I think if I didn't have that mentality of playing small, trying to play it safe, I probably would have exited the legal field a lot sooner, but you know, that was my path. That was the path that obviously I needed to take. I learned so much during those 14 years. A lot of that I think is the reason why I've been so successful in my business. So I don't want to like throw it all away, but if I could go back and do it again, one, I wouldn't go to law school. Um, I'd pick a different profession. Um, but also if I couldn't go all the way to the back to the beginning, I would have wished that I left a little sooner. What, Just, what, what profession would you, would you have chosen if it wasn't law? 
You know, it's funny. It's like when I was little, I used to say Jurassic Park was one of the first movies that I saw when I moved to the, to the United States. And that was like a transformative movie for Americans, right? Like everybody was blown away by Jurassic Park. So imagine a little immigrant coming into this country and I'm like, this is what America's about. This is amazing. Um, so I wanted to be a paleontologist, right? I wanted to like travel around the world, dig up like dinosaur bones and study history. Right. And I'm like, yeah, that still sounds like a really cool job. I think I would go back and do that, right? Or be a marine biologist. I was always into biology. So I would do something like that. I would follow my heart more. I think when you grow up the way that I did, you have to grow up very fast and you suppress a lot of your childhood ambitions. And so my goal now at the you know young age of 38, going on 39, it's all about play for me these days. It's all about tapping into my, like, my childhood energy and kind of healing some of those wounds from childhood. So I do silly things now. I don't, I don't care about embarrassing myself on like TikTok and like, you know, laughing and being goofy. I think it's really important to go back and learn how to play as an adult. Yeah. I feel like your, your story can resonate with so many people, especially immigrants. I think oftentimes a lot of our parents tell us, you know, education is your path. Like if you mm -hmm. need to become a lawyer, a doctor, a, you know, a nurse, a teacher, things that we know that are vocational that you know, you're going to get a, a good job in. And so, you know, oftentimes we do suppress, you know, like our true goals and our true dreams to make sure that we do end up in a position where we can, you know, ultimately help our family. So that's so relatable. And just just as we're talking about your journey as a lawyer, you know, you accrued all of this debt, you weren't happy. So like, at what point did you decide to transition into personal finance? Yeah, I mean, I was frustrated. You know, here I was living in New York City, the mecca of the financial industry. And I, my net worth was like stagnant. The student loan, I throw money on it. It really wouldn't move. I was hoarding cash in a savings account. I had some money in a 401k. I didn't understand how it worked. And I would constantly try to start conversations with other friends about like, hey, what, 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 what investment opportunities are you into? You know, like I would try to bring up the subject and all anybody would ever mention is like, just buy property, you know, just go into real estate. That's what you need to do. And I was like, God, it's like, I'm a true city girl. I can barely, you know, put an Ikea bookshelf together. And so for me, it's like the idea of like, getting into a rental, you know, and renovating and all this stuff was so overwhelming for me. I'm like, dude, I can, I, I can't. Right. And so I was feeling very defeated. And, um, when I finally found the debt-free community, I stumbled on them online. Eventually you're going to find the financial independence community, right? It's like, those are so connected. So I start seeing these people talk about like how they're leveraging the stock market as a way to exit the workforce. And I'm like, excuse me, like nobody has talked to me about this. And I worked, like I said, for years in New York city for subway stops from the stock market. And I'm like, how is it that I don't know this is going on? Like, and so the frustration of that led to, you know, me self-educating. I, you know, when I fall into something and I become really passionate about it, I don't, I don't ha I have no chill, right? Everything has to be so extra. When I became obsessed with cycling, I, um, trained to ride century rides, which are hundred mile bike rides. So I've done a hundred mile bike ride, which took about eight and a half hours. I have a tattoo of like a bicycle 
Um, I'm just extra with everything I do, right? I, oh, I became a spinning instructor. So this is my personality. And so I did the same, I approached personal finance with the same vigor, like with the same excitement. And I just wanted to learn everything there was about money. Um, and the more I learned about it, the more I realized that I'm like, oh my God, there's a path where I don't have to stay stuck in being a lawyer forever. Um, I can save and invest in a prudent, responsible way, because, you know, I'm still not going to lose my head and like go all in on something crazy. I'm like, this sounds actually like something that appeals to me. I'm a very risk averse person. So I'm like, this appeals to me. This works. I'm reading all these studies. I'm like, people are doing this. It's happening. Um, And that's like when everything just started shifting for me. Yeah. So for our listeners who may not know, like what exactly is financial independence? How would you explain that to someone? Yeah. Financial independence is when you have like saved and invested enough money where you can essentially pay yourself a paycheck, right? You can essentially pay yourself a paycheck and you never have to work again if you choose not to. So again, it's the choice of working or not working. It's not like, oh yeah, you have to retire. And I don't love the word retire because people think of like, you know, retirement homes or like, you know, just sitting around doing nothing, watching TV all day. Like, oh, that sounds really boring. And I'm like, that's not what this is about. This is about having choices. So again, you're making life decisions, not based on what's the most financially, you know, savvy decision. It's more like listening to your heart. Like, where do you want to live? What kind of home do you want to have? What kind of lifestyle do you want to live? Where do you want to travel to? Imagine making all of these decisions without having to stress about every dollar, right? That's what financial independence is about. So it's a, you know, there's mathematical formula that goes with it. It's usually like your annual expenses times 25. Once you have that amount saved and invested, you are financially independent. And then at that point, if you want to stop working, you can and pay yourself 4% a year. It's called a 4% rule. And that money is supposed to, you know, allegedly last forever. So that's a little shortened version of that. Yeah, no, we actually have an episode where we talked a little bit about fire, financial independence, retire Mm -hmm. early. But no, I think so many of us just aren't aware of what's possible. You know, we're taught at an early age that, oh, you know, you go to school, you get good Mm -hmm. grades, um, you go get your master's degree, (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) just accrue more debt, Of course, Um, (laughs) you know, and then you go get a good job and you work that job until you're well into your 60s or beyond that for a lot of people I know now. And so, you know, we, we're not aware that it's possible like to use the, the money that you're earning wisely to just invest it, be intentional with it and, you know, watch it grow in the stock market. And so I think, you know, it's so great that you were able to find this and, you know, you took action and now you're helping a lot of other people do the same thing. Thank you. I and I think also the the thing that minorities especially struggle with because God knows we are hard workers. That is never the issue. Whenever people are like, "Oh, you just need to work more." Immediately I'm like, it's like that TikTok. Immediately no, immediately no. I'm like, "You don't know what you're talking about." Like people who earn minimum wage are the hardest workers I've ever yes. seen in my life. Um so it's not about you're not working hard enough. It's about, you know, many there are, this is a multi-layered issue. Mm-hmm. Obviously there's systemic issues in place, there's, you know, failure to educate, there's failure of opportunities, there's so many things. But also there's the there's a piece of it is the mindset situation where we still latch on to the idea of 
the only way to make honest money is to grind for it, right? Is to like really work for it. And this idea of passive income where you're putting money in the market and it's making you money immediately. We're like, this sounds like a freaking scam. Like I'm going to lose all my money. Like, how is this possible that you put your money in something and then it makes you more money? Like what? That It sounds so scammy. And I totally get that. Right. But again, it's just a matter of like the education is missing, right? It's the um, there's not enough people like being transparent and showing that this is possible, which is why I'm, I'm so transparent with my numbers. I'm like, I need to show people that this is a real thing, but yeah, that's like part of it. And, um, I think we're all working to close that financial education gap. Definitely. Like our mission is to really help people learn how to manage money with intention. And it's like, you know, you said something earlier in the conversation that is totally relatable, um, especially for people who, you know, aren't from this country who are immigrants, you know, you put your money in a savings account. Like that's what I was taught. That's what RJ was taught. And it's like, you know, we're not, we're not aware of what investing is, how to even start investing. And, you know, like you said, it, it does seem something that's scammy that, you know, this, like, I don't want to lose all my money. So I'm just going to mm-hmm. store it away in, in, in the, in a savings account. And, you know, there's a lot of good reasons why you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's two points, two uh, major points. One is, you know, when you think of investing, it's usually people that don't look like us in terms of advertisement, and what you see. So, one, we need more people who look like us who are mm-hmm. talking about investing. And then two, a lot of people, when they're first investing, they think you need this large sum of money to invest. Yep. Like it's almost like one is like it's risky or two, I'm going to invest when I get a little bit more money. <laughs> mm-hmm. And technology has just thrown that all away, right? From fees to barriers to entry, all this stuff has wiped away and it's starting to slowly change. And people like yourself are telling people like, hey, it's possible. It's low cost. And you can do it without a middleman. Yeah. Like, I think that's huge, right? Because we are usually like, we've heard all the time, like, yeah, when I get a little bit of money, I'm going to come to you and, and talk about how I can start investing. And so like, I guess my question is, where can someone start? Like for people who are mm-hmm. just not aware, you know, people who, you know, are like, like you said, they work hard, right? People are really yeah. working hard to put food on the table for their families. And they just don't see a way out. They don't see any other way of life other than working hard for the next 40 plus years. So like, where can someone start to really start learning how to invest? Yeah. No, there's just so many, there's so many layers here and so many nuggets, like to go back to, you know, RJ's point is start, you know, the barriers of entry being completely obliterated, right? You can literally start with a dollar. You can literally open a bank, uh, an investment account. It doesn't cost anything. Um, at least it shouldn't cost you anything. Don't let anybody charge you to be opening accounts. Um, and you can start with a dollar, right? It's something that's called fractional shares. So if you think, if you look at the Amazon stock and you're like, it's $30,000, I can't buy Amazon. You can actually buy a little piece of Amazon. Now, is a dollar going to get you a very big piece? No, but it will add up over time, right? I'm just giving you an example. But I even made a post recently on Instagram where, um, and I don't have the exact number in front of me, but it's something like if you started investing for your child a dollar a day, the day that they're born, um, by the time they're 18, they would have something like 16 or $17,000, right? Which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but remember when you were 18, imagine your parents handing you $16,000. You can go buy a car. You can go buy some books. You can do a lot with $16,000, right? I know I could have. So yeah. 
invest a dollar a day if that's all you have. If you want to gift your child $16,000 on their birthday, why wouldn't you do that? Right. So that's obviously just, you know, an example. The other example I like to talk about also is with parents. I know immediately, and this is why wouldn't you feel this way? Of course, you want to put your child first. You're like, I want to start with my child, right? And then you're, you neglect your own savings and your own investments. And I want to persuade you to not think that way because you think you're helping them, but really you're just kind of kicking the can down the road where they're going to have to eventually come back and like help you, right? Because you did not build your own retirement. Now your child has to come and sacrifice and be not only take care of their children. Now they got to take care of you. And that can be even more stressful than you just letting them handle their finances now while they're young. Like it's okay. Like is the student loan, you know, system a mess? Yes, it is. But your kid can, you're going to educate them. You're going to teach them about student loans. You're going to teach them about how they work, how they can pay them off. And you're going to teach them about investing. They're going to start early. They're going to be ahead of the game, no matter what, even with just education. But I want you to prioritize your retirement so that that pressure is not on them, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. But to start, it's like, I always say, start with the accounts that are offered to you at work right? Whatever is offered to you there, 401k, 403b, make sure you're signed up, take care of that free match, get that free money. And then you can go and open like a Roth IRA or a brokerage account and just start really slow buying index funds and ETFs really, really slowly, right? And index funds are just like a big basket of stocks. So instead of you having a stock pick, which is the thing that overwhelms most people, you can own all of the stocks. And that is the best way, not just for beginners, but for everyone to invest. I don't like it when people are like, index funds are good for beginners. I'm like, "Mm, actually, they're good for everyone. I don't care if you're a beginner, middle, intermediate, advanced. They are the ones that index funds beat these like active trader hedge funds every single time. So index funds are, are where it's at right now until something even better comes along. But it's that simple, you know, and people tend to complicate investing because of what's in the media. There's just so much hype, right? Especially around crypto, NFTs. I get all these messages about crypto NFTs. And I'm like, hey, by the way, have you um, opened your like 401k at work? Are you like maxing it out? And they're like, what does maxing out mean? And I'm like, okay, yep. let's back it up then. You know, like let's not skip over the foundational stuff to get to like the, the new trendy, sexy stuff. Exactly. I love that you just said that because everyone wants to be in on the sexy stuff. And like, Mm -hmm. when you really think about building wealth and like, you hear like the Warren Buffett's of the world, like it really isn't that sexy. It's just, you know, like you said, investing in those index funds and just watching your wealth grow over time. And it's like, right now, I think with social media, it's so easy to get caught up in the glitz and glam of all these people making, I just made $4 million off Bitcoin or whatever the case may be. Um, Or now, you know, you hear a lot about day trading you know, and like people just making a lot of money, just day trading. And it's like, how do you kind of, what do you say to those people who are feeling discouraged? Right. Because they're, they feel like they're missing out. Like, oh, I didn't mm-hmm. get in uh, at the right time. And so now I'm just going to take my life savings and put it all in Bitcoin or Cardano, mm-hmm. whatever, whatever those uh, cryptocurrencies are. What do you say to those people who are feeling like they missed out? I would say that we're in the middle of a massive bull run right now, which means bull run means we're, you know, we're in growth mode. But, you know, regardless of what people say, stocks do not always go up and we're not all going to the moon. We can't all fit on the rocket ship to the moon. Okay, somebody's going to have to stay behind and somebody's going to be left holding the bag when all of this starts to level out. 
And that could easily be you because I'm telling you, there's massive institutional investors who have their finger on the pulse of these things. And you're, you don't have access to the same information they do. So you're following the hype. You're listening to the hype. By the time you hear somebody, by the time your hairdresser is telling you to buy Cardano, you've already missed the boat. It's too late. Like once everybody's talking about something, it's, it's happened, right? Like when recently, like Shiba, right? Everybody's always loves talking to me about Shiba. This is like this little meme coin. Um, by the time Shiba took off and exploded, it's too late. Like now you're going to buy in, you're going to be at the tail end, right? This is what happened with Doge. A lot of people got burned on Dogecoin. They heard about it exploding. They bought it and now they, they lost money on it. So you never want to be following the news. You never want to be following the hype. If you start feeling like you're getting FOMO, then we need to create a little bucket in your investment portfolio where you have play money. I don't, I don't subscribe to this either, but if, but if it's going to help you, you know, deal with this feeling, then do that, you know, have 5% of your portfolio be your play money. And that's where you can kind of like buy your crypto, you know, dip your, your toes into NFTs or anything like that. But make sure that your the, the bulk of your nest egg is invested in something that isn't trendy, is not a fad, you know, it's like something that's long term. Even the people that invest in crypto and NFTs and everything, they still take their profits and they funnel it to index funds. So be smart about it. Like if you make some quick cash, great. Congratulations. I am not crapping on anybody for that, but do something smart with your profit. Yeah, that's great advice for our listeners, because I have seen people just feel like, dang, like I really missed out on this. And I missed a huge opportunity. But like you said, just have a little bit of your money, like a certain percentage, a small percentage. I know, like I've heard, like maybe between one and 5% to invest in cryptocurrencies. You know, it is, you know, a part of our future. It is something mm -hmm. that is here to stay potentially, but just be smart about it, right? And don't put your life savings into it. So I think that's awesome advice. And, you know, don't always follow what's sexy, right? I like that you said that, you know, oftentimes once you see it on social media, once you see it on the news, you already missed the boat. And so like just mm -hmm. being smart, have a real plan, a, a real investment plan or strategy rather before you even start talking about, you know, the cryptocurrencies, like start investing in your 401k at work, get up to the match at least. And even before that, because I think a lot of what RJ and I are trying to do with our platform is to just teach basics, right? Get on a budget you know, understand where your money is going every month, have mm -hmm. a plan for your debt. No one's saying you have to pay it off, you know, mm -hmm. in a month, but have at least a plan of, or strategy about your debt. Um, and then, you know, have a strategy for, for your investments as well. And I think a lot of people um, don't want to take the time to do that work, but I can tell you that it'll pay off in the long run if you just take the time to just learn the basics of money management. Yeah. And also like, you don't have to budget for the rest of your life. If you do it consistently enough for a period of time, you're going to know your numbers, right? Unless something dramatic happens in your life and something changes, you're going to know your numbers pretty much. And so you're going to get to a point where you can start tracking it with an app. I suggest everybody do it manually for a few months, like with a spreadsheet, and then you can go to an app and let them track it for you. But um, I agree. It's like a step. It's a foundational step that you really can't skip. But again, I don't want you to think like, oh, my God, I'm going to be shackled to the spreadsheet for the rest of my life. Absolutely not. I don't live inside a spreadsheet. I wouldn't want to live my life that way. And I tell people it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah it's just doing the work, almost like train the wheels, right? 
some some people start with cash method, then they go to Excel, then they go to yep. you know, the 50, 30, 20, then they're like, oh, I know where my money's at, right? So it's educating yourself so you can graduate and, and do the things that you really want to do once you have control of your money. But I wanted to pivot to a pivotal point in your life when you left your job, right? Can you talk about like that moment? How'd you feel? And, and yeah, what led up to quit? those moments? <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, guys. There's, it's so funny because life has one of those, has a couple of those days, right? Where it's like, oh my God, this is the happiest day of my life. So obviously the day you get a job is a super exciting day. And then the day you quit a job is a super exciting day. <laughs> but you know, knowing that I was quitting to pursue my business full-time to really like, wow, I'm never going to have a boss again. Because sometimes you quit and you're just like moving to another job. And it's like, that can be exciting too, but it's from one to the next. For me, I was completely pivoting my whole life. I'm like, I'm never going to have a boss again. This is crazy. Like no more Monday morning meetings, no more agendas, no more annoying emails, right? Oh my God. I was like elated, right? And so, you know, when I quit, I gave a two-week notice. Nobody had any idea because I pretty much blocked everybody from work on my Instagram (laughs) I blocked everybody. So nobody knew what what was going on. So by the time they're like, wait, you have a what business? And I'm like, yeah, this business, you know, whatever. And they're like, that's weird. Um, Nobody could even relate or understand what I, to what I was doing. Like attorneys, you know, were, were very traditional. So this idea of entrepreneurship, money, coaching, investing, all of that was completely foreign to them. Um, But yeah, everybody was surprised, but it was, you know, an amicable separation, but I was so, I felt so free for the first time. And it's only been like seven or eight months since I quit, but I feel like I found my voice, you know, because like I said before, when you're in corporate America, you have to act a certain way. You have to like mute yourself, right? You got to be, there's politics involved. And this idea now that I don't have to deal with politics anymore and that I'm a hundred percent (sighs) free. I mean, it's, it's, I wish everybody could feel this way. Um, I know entrepreneurship is not for everyone, but I wish everybody could at least feel this feeling. And I think that there are workplaces that allow people to have this level of autonomy. And that's really what I've, I've read a lot of surveys about work, uh, the workplace and what people crave the most is autonomy. They don't want to be infantilized. They don't want to be treated like children. Right. And I feel like that's what corporate America does a lot of the time is treat people like children. And that's why they become resentful. Um, So for me, like, yeah, having 100 percent control of my my schedule now is the most liberating thing ever. I think like even to add to that. So to your point, like not everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. So they, you know, they won't feel that level of freedom that you're describing. But Mm -hmm. I think that's why it's so important, the work that we're doing. Right. Like once you have control of your finances and you have FU money where if something isn't serving you anymore, if your job isn't serving you the way that mm-hmm. you need it to, you can just walk away and take some time for yourself, for you to just mentally get yourself together. And I think that's powerful too. And so, you know, just taking the time to get control of your finances, learn how to manage your money with intention, um, learn how to start investing your money so that you can, you know, get to a point where you can just say, you know what, I'm going to walk away from this right now. Yeah. And and even to go to another, find the, find the career or the role that you mm-hmm. love or that matches your passion and your skill um, where there's synergy between the two, you go to that role, right? It, it's a lot of times people may become an attorney or become a doctor and may not 
love it, but then they love like teaching. So they go into become a teacher, but the pay is much different. So you have to get yourself in a financial position to be able to do something like that. And that's where the financial independence, that's where, you know, the empowerment of your personal finance come into play. Definitely. Definitely. Also, like I always, I always, I also always believe that this idea of like, um, you know, you can make money doing what you love was kind of a fairy tale when people are like, oh, just do what you love. And you feel like you never worked a day in your life. I'm like, yeah, that sounds nice, but whatever. Um, but not, you know, not going to happen for me, but I can say now that it's happened for me. I do do something that I absolutely love that I would do for free. Um, and luckily I get paid for it, but The other thing is as an attorney, I was a good attorney. I was a really good attorney. Always got, you know, above average performance reviews and all of that. And I did good work, but it wasn't my zone of genius because it wasn't what I was meant to be. Right. And now that I'm in this field where I'm an educator, this, I feel like this is what I was meant to be. So when I was an attorney, everything felt like pulling teeth, like everything felt like a grind, right? Every, every day felt like a grind. Now that I do what I do, um, it's, it it flows so easily. Like the energy, I just, I was, you know, I lose track of time when I'm working on my business and that level of flow, when you're in your zone of genius, that I do think everybody is, should strive for that. Right. I don't care if it's through a nine to five or through a business or whatever. Ideally, I would love it if everybody could find their, their zone of genius and their flow, because it would make your life so much more pleasant and you maybe you wouldn't feel this pull to like leave corporate America like, oh, I just want to retire early already because I hate my life and I hate this job. If you're in your flow zone all day, you don't feel that pressure. Right. But again, having the privilege to find your flow is something that you need financial stability to do, because a lot of us are choosing jobs based on money because mm-hmm. that's that's the reality of things. Right. Like finding financial stability is something that impacts every aspect of your life. It's really incredible. Definitely. No, this has been such a great episode, Delianne. Like (laughs) you have shared so much, like just your journey is super inspirational to so many people. And, you know, now, you know, you started as an undocumented young child and to now you have a million dollar business, obviously that speaks to your work ethic and just, you know, the impact that you want to make and the difference you want to make in people's lives that gives you the energy to do what you do every day. But you really are doing amazing things. So thank you for coming on our podcast. If people want to catch up with what you're doing, where can listeners connect with you? Yeah, I live on Instagram. So that's really the best place to find me is at Deli and the Money Coach on Instagram or um, same name on TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn. But really where I spend most of my time and I engage with my audience the most is on Instagram. So Delian, we appreciate you so much. You know, this has just been an awesome episode. Our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. So thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you like what you heard, hit the subscribe button and leave a review. Remember, it all starts with intention. See you next week.